the title of my message, if you take notes, is this. Just do it. What does that make you think of? Sheesh, check that. Hey, the girls. So fashionable. All right. Most of us make hundreds of decisions every day. Some of them that you don't even consciously think about anymore. Things, well, some of them you do consciously think about. Things like, what time should I wake up? Or for Moses, should I wake up today? Not sure. Should I brush my teeth today? If so, for how long? What should I have for breakfast? Is there time for tea or coffee before I have to leave? Or did I hit the snooze button too many times? What should I wear this morning? What route should I take to get to work? Thankfully, in this community, that's very limited in terms of its options. What route should I take to work? Through town or around town? Um, sure, <laughs> you know, you can go one there and one back and you've done the route. It's awesome. So there's a lot of these decisions, these small decisions, but then there's not only small decisions that we have to make. Some of us have got some big decisions. Some of us are in the middle right now of making some big decisions. Things that are not just what should I wear, what should I eat, where should I go, who should I spend my time with, uh, should I get coffee or tea when I'm out at the restaurant. Things that are slightly bigger than that. Things that will have consequences that run into uh, the rest of your life. Like this, should I consider changing jobs? Is it time? My boss is a fill in the blank. And I'm not sure if I can see this through or not. Is this the right person for me? A question best asked before you're married. Is this the right person for me? People are making these kinds of decisions. Should I keep this baby? These are big decisions. Is this marriage over? Is it okay for me to take something because I can't afford it and I really need it? Is it okay to twist the truth just a little bit if no one's going to get hurt by it? Should I go to church this morning? Well done. You answered one of those correctly. There's some big choices people are making. How do I deal with my child who's behaving in this way now? Do I do this or do I do that? And these things have consequences. And these things have a result That bleeds into the rest of life. And my point this morning is really this. The Bible gives you clear patterns and it gives you clear principles about how to live a life that honors God. That brings Him glory and that leaves you content as a person. It doesn't tell you every decision that you need to make. It doesn't tell you the answers to those things. And making decisions isn't always easy. And very often when we're faced with a serious choice, one of two things happens. That's number one. You know, when you've got a tough decision to make, some people's nature and their personalities and their wiring will take them to this place where it is just 
But if I do this, then this is going to happen. But if this happens, then this is going to happen. I'm not sure if I start this, then I can finish that. And, and it actually leads to something which is now commonly called analysis paralysis. When you actually become paralyzed from examining all the options that are in front of you and not being sure of which way to go. You've run every possible scenario through your mind a hundred times. And you think you know how they're all going to end up. But in the end, you end up doing nothing. The other thing that happens when we want to do anything that we're not sure about, and this specifically applies to you, if you call yourself a Christian, this will factor into your decision making. Is what I'm going to decide now God's will or not? Is this right or is this wrong? Is this what God wants for me? Is this part of the path that God has for me? We're still waiting for an angel to give us the answer we need. It's not happening. Don't wait for the signs and the angels. Okay? God's given us his guidance. And I think what this view does is it shows a very narrow understanding of God's will. As if it's a a, a tightrope that you have to walk your whole life and do not, whatever you do, become unbalanced. Do not, whatever you do, take a wrong step. If I make that decision and it's out of God's will, well, what happens when you fall off a tightrope? Don't see God's will like a tightrope. It's not like that at all. And you know what? God's big enough to take a bad decision and make it okay. He's big enough to take something that is out of his will and still use it for the good of those who love him. You know that. That's the good news about God. So, so worst case scenario, God can take something bad and do something good with it. God's will isn't this little thing that if you miss it, ah, oh, man, I'm 20 and I missed it. Now I've got another 60 years to go and I've missed his will for my life. No ways. No ways. Don't have a narrow view of God's will. Sometimes you just need to commit your plans to God, seek advice, and do it. It's easier to steer a moving ship than one that is stationary. Do you know that? So be a moving ship. It's very difficult for God to steer you if you're paralyzed with analysis. If you don't know what to do and you're ending up doing nothing, well, God can't do much with you. But if you're a moving ship... And you're going in a direction, it's much easier for God to just bring the wind to take you to the right space. And so be a moving ship. And I wrote this because I think this is important. Have a bias towards action. Not inaction. Not, I'm not doing anything until I hear the voice of the angels telling me what to do. Because you will not move anywhere. We need to have a bias towards action. We must act and allow God to stop us or direct us if he wants to. Because he does do that. So, none of us have a crystal ball. Well, I don't. Probably, I'm assuming you don't as well. We don't really do the whole crystal ball thing. Uh, It doesn't gel so well with the Christianity thing. So, if you have one, get rid of it. Okay. So, We don't have a crystal ball. There's a story in the Bible of a man named Jonathan. Do you know who Jonathan was? Jonathan, the son of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. So now he is next in line to be king, technically. Um, 
And uh, one day they found themselves out in a battle. The odds were stacked against them. Everything, everything was against them winning this battle. And um, the Israelite army, let me read this, was in a long standoff against the Philistines, who were their enemies. And they were at a severe disadvantage because they had far fewer fighters and no iron weapons. Now, when you're coming against someone with an iron weapon and the best you've got is wood, that's not a great thing. That is like bringing a knife to a gunfight. That is, it's not a clever thing to do. Uh, but that's the position that they found themselves in. And Saul's son, Jonathan, snuck off with his armor bearer. His armor bearer was the guy who would carry his gear, okay? Because in those days, you wouldn't need to carry your own gear, especially if you were the son of the king. So he would get there, and he would have his armor bearer, and your armor bearer was loyal and faithful and stuck by you and helped you out. And there's something that it says there, which I really appreciate when it comes to making decisions. It says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. I love that. Perhaps. Like, I'm not sure that God's going to do anything here. But you know what? We're just sitting here. We're waiting for the enemy to come and crush us. Can we just do something? Maybe God will do something. But there's a bias towards action. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. That's a serious confidence in God. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Do all that you have in mind. You know, when you're led by God, that's, a, that's an expression that you can live by. Do what you've got in mind. If you feel that action's what's required, then do that. There is no indication that Jonathan had heard from God. None whatsoever. You can search the scriptures. You can go back to the original. You will not find some sort of hidden thing there where God spoke to Jonathan and he decided that he was going to do this. There's no way that he could have known what was going to happen. But he had faith in God's ability and he took a big decision and he acted. The result of that was an absolutely incredible victory. It was, it was a mind-blowing victory in the life of Israel in the face of what seemed like a what, certain defeat. There's other things that have been said, and these come from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel. This is the prophet talking to Saul. He says, once these signs are fulfilled, I've just caught it right in the middle there, do, what, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Can you see what the thing is there? If you can see something you need to do, just do it. God's with you. You don't need to wait for anything more. You don't need to wait for God to say, uh, yeah, no, you can do that. No, 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 stay away from that. Do that thing. No, 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 God's with you. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Take action. 1 Chronicles, Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. I want to read something from the New Testament, which is a phenomenal story. You see, because sometimes people separate the Old and New Testament as if, like, God changed somewhere in the middle there, and and God just became different in the New Testament. You know, He's the same God. And, And... But, oh, that's all Old Testament. He doesn't do that anymore. No, no, God still leads. God still directs. Let's read this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region 
of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What does that look like? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in a certain area. Does it sound like they were directed, they were led, like they were ships that could be moved? When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. What does that look like? Is that like a spooky thing on the end of your boat that's telling you don't go here? What do you think that's like? You need to put yourself in these things because these are not stories we're reading of some fable. This is a man of God who's spreading the message of good news. And he's going and he's hitting roadblocks and and, and he's being denied access. And the Spirit of God is stopping him from going certain places. And you would go there and if it was you and you were traveling, this isn't like you're just driving to Craddock. This is like, like you're walking to Cape Town. And then you get all the way there. No. Oh. Okay. Next place. I don't know. Joburg. Let's go to Joburg. I don't know. Someone, can you rent me a donkey? I don't know. Um, get on a donkey and go to jo- And you get to Joburg. Now it's been months. No. Go. You know, these are hectic things. I mean, you can imagine what this guy was thinking. I don't understand. I'm doing God's work. I'm spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm, people are getting saved all over the show. We're seeing miracles happen. And, and I'm not even allowed into these certain areas. Now, we don't know if it was doors that closed physically in, in terms of like border control. Or if there was just something in his spirit that was like, this isn't right. Something's not right here. This isn't right for you now. Go here. Go here. Go here. Let's carry on. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't this comforting in some way? This is like the man of God, okay? You kind of get Jesus, then you get Paul, okay? He's like potent, and he doesn't know where to go, and he's going to the wrong places, and he's, he's ending up in the wrong space, and, and then he has a dream, and everyone's like, yes, okay, let's do that. Because, well, you know, they concluded that God had called him to preach the gospel there, There's nothing certain about anything that's happening there. But what he did there was phenomenal in spreading the gospel to that part of the world thereafter. And you just know, now we can see because we know the history of it. For him, he didn't know it. And he, you know, what happened after that in terms of spreading the gospel in Macedonia and and much further than that was incredible because he was obedient to the Spirit of God who was leading him and guiding him. Do whatever you have in mind because God is with you. Those words were said to specific men in specific points in history. But we've been given the Spirit of God and God is with us. You know, the Holy Spirit wasn't like, He wasn't poured out on all men back then as He is now. Back then it was one or two guys. It was a prophet here. It was a 
a king here. It was something, you know, it was a judge over here. And the Spirit of God would come on them, and that would be it. That would be the guy. That would be the man of the hour. That would be the guy doing God's work. Uh, but everyone else, hey, you just had to get on with things. But it's not like that anymore. God has poured His Spirit out on all men. And we all have access to that. So you see, even though these are things that are for specific times and contexts, do we not have the Spirit of God inside of us now? Surely, with God at the forefront of our decisions guiding us, we have the advantage. So, let me be clear. I always need to be clear on this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not okay okay to be reckless and to make rash decisions and call it faith in God. Don't do that. That's not helpful. It definitely won't help you. And it's not okay to make selfish choices and decisions. But there are some things that you don't need God to speak to you on. That are decisions that have been made for you in terms of what God's happy with. Uh, You don't need more clarity before you act on them. Can I give you three things quickly? That you don't need to ask God if you need to get involved in these things ever. One, Showing love and kindness. You never have to wonder if it's okay with God to do that. It was the new commandment that we love each other as Jesus loved us. Number two, being a blessing and a help to the marginalized. Maybe that term is different for you. Marginalized people, orphans, street people, uh, people who are struggling, people who can't get an education, people whose parents have passed away, uh, whatever it might, people who are, who are disempowered people who have no voice, people who are at a major disadvantage in life, you never have to ask God if it's a good idea for you to get involved with people who are marginalized. You never have to worry about if it's God's will that you share the good news of forgiveness from sin and new life in Christ with people. If you've got someone that you've wanted to speak to about that sort of thing, you don't have to ask God and pray and wait for a sign. That stuff, God's all for. That's part of the Great Commission. Go and reach people. So, if you've been struggling because there's someone you want to show kindness to, go ahead. You have full permission from the Word of God to show people kindness and love, to love the the marginalized, the widow, the refugee, the orphans. So, but there's many other day-to-day decisions. Some of them are small and some are big that you could ask, what's the right thing for me to do in this situation? And this is what I want to end with today. I think that's a real robot. But I think that's how you could feel sometimes when there's a big decision coming. Which one am I looking at? Which one's for me? I don't know if this is working. Uh, If you're in that space this morning, I want to give you a couple of things, a couple of filters, a couple of uh, markers in your decision-making process that should help you to make better decisions. So let's use these filters Number one, commit your plans to God. I remember being in a tough situation once. It was a work situation at that stage. And, and I didn't know which way to go on this thing. 
And I was youth pastoring at the time, and I spoke to someone, and they said, have you spoken to God about it? And I was like, no. Why would I need to do that? He's given me a brain. Uh, I can use it. And I just realized then, I remember thinking so clearly, that's so odd. I haven't even brought the situation to God. I'm trying to solve it 100% on my own and then come to God with the answer that I came to and then say, well, God, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Do you mind blessing it quickly? It was only at that time that I thought, man, how crazy of me. Say, God of the universe, I know that you know everything. I know that you can see the end from the beginning, but do you mind if I solve this on my own? Madness. But that's sometimes how we do things. Commit your plans to God. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Now, that's a, a verse that's quite easily misunderstood. It doesn't mean that if you pray about the thing you want to do, that your plan will succeed. But to commit your plans to God, it has this. This is what it actually means. Let me, let me spell this because this is important. It means to transfer a burden from your own back to the back of someone who's stronger and better able to carry something. So when you commit your plans to God, you're not saying, God, this is what I'm going to do. Thanks. What you're doing is, God, I've got this big decision to make. I'm not quite sure what to do. Can I give it to you and ask you to help me with it? And here's the thing about God. He will. So when we commit our plans to God and they succeed, it's not because we say, God, this is what I'm doing. It's we say, God, how can you help me with this thing? And you know what? When God does something, it succeeds. Commit your plans to God. Trust God to open and close the right doors in your situation. Understand that God gives you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that he gives you what you want. That means that he puts those desires inside of your heart. He, he births the desires of your heart. And if he births them, births them in you, he will certainly want to see them come to pass. So number one, as a filter, as a green light, something to look for, commit your plans to God. Because you might right then get a red light. Number two, does this decision submit to the teachings of Scripture? Is it in harmony with God's word? It is possible to have decisions that are neutral. You need to understand that. Okay? What you're eating for breakfast is neutral. It is neither here nor there. It is inconsequential in terms of the word of God uh, unless you're eating little children for breakfast. Okay? But other than that, there are decisions that are neutral. There's a story I remember hearing of a very, very spiritual man. And he, you know, he would talk to God about everything that he was doing and anything he, he had to do, he would, he would ask God about it. And he was getting dressed one morning and he asked God, what should I wear? What should I wear today? What is the best thing that I can wear today? And he heard this voice and it said, Elrich, I am your father, not your mother. <laughs> because you know what? God doesn't care about all those little things all the time. So don't be so over-spiritual that you have to submit those things, okay? There are some things that are absolutely neutral. Not every decision has high stakes. So there are many things that God has given us the capacity with our own brain to be able to work out the right thing or the wrong thing. 
Um, so don't over-spiritualize these things. But certainly, does it submit to the teachings of Scripture? If your decision flies in the face of, of Scripture, let's use an example. Let's say that you want to go for a job interview. But you know that in order to do it, there's something you have to do. There's someone you have to help under the table. Well, look here. Bribery, you know, the Bible's very clear on certain things. So, so if, if your decision contradicts the Word of God in terms of bribing, in terms of paying your way to get somewhere, in terms of trusting people rather than trusting God, well, then your decision's made. You've got a red light straight away. Does it submit to Scripture? Okay, let me move on. Check your motives. Is this selfish? Will this be the best thing for my family, my church, my community, or just me? Proverbs 16 verse 2 says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. God knows exactly what your motive is. He knows what my motive is. When I ask for something, even if I spin it in the most... Man, like I'm a saint. No, no, I really need this car because if it's a bigger car, well, then I can carry more people to and from youth. Yes, yes, I can do that. Um, you know, God's not fooled. He can see straight through and he can see the motives of our heart. So check your motives. This only works if you're honest with yourself. Otherwise, this is always going to be a green light for you. If you're someone who can justify doing anything, you're going to get green lights all the time. But if you need to make a decision and you can honestly say, this is not just for me. This is for someone else. This is helping. Well, then you may just have a green light. The next thing, seek wise and godly counsel. There is such a thing as worldly wisdom. And there is such a thing as godly wisdom. And they are not always the same. Dealing with money and giving, that's probably the best example where you can see worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Do you know how foolish it is in the minds of people who don't know God to give away 10% of your salary? Why? Why do you do that? Why don't you save that? If you put that aside every single month, well, you could have your child's tertiary education paid for by the time they're 21. Why on earth would you give that away to some organization? That's ridiculous. You know, because worldly wisdom says accumulate as much as you can because at the end of your life, you want to be as comfortable as you can be. You don't want to have to depend on anybody else. You want to be self-sustained, living on your own, and, uh, and being able to do and uh, have whatever it is that you want. That's worldly wisdom. But godly wisdom is slightly different to that. And it says you put your money out first. God gave you everything. You give back just 10% of what God gave you initially. So you get to keep 90%. How's that sound? And you know what? God can further his kingdom. With that little 10% that we give, people can come to know Christ and come into his kingdom. See, so our wisdom isn't always the same as the, world, the world's wisdom. When it comes to life, we don't think the same all the time. When it comes to marriage and relationships, we certainly miss each other a lot of the time on worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. When it comes to what love is, man, we are not the same. We are not on the same page as the world when it comes to what love is. Okay, so seek wise and godly counsel. There's a proverb, and I, I love proverbs in general, but Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, For lack of guidance, a nation falls. 
but many advisors make victory sure. This is a, I like this because I need this. I don't like always to ask for many advisors. I like to think through something and then make a decision and run with it. And then sometimes, often, I find that I may have acted a little bit quickly. And there was another way I could have gone, uh, which was better. But I didn't know it because I never asked anyone. Okay, that happens to me. So I'm, I'm grateful for this verse, and it's something that I need to apply. Seek the counsel of other godly people, not just your mates. If you're looking for yes people, well, then go speak to your friends. But if you're looking for something different, go higher than yourself. Go outside of your circle and your sphere and go and approach people who can give you some outside godly advice that you may never have considered or thought of. Is this helping? Cool. Lastly, the last filter that I've got there. Do you have the peace of God to proceed? Don't underestimate the peace of God. Because you can have green lights for everything else there. And you can honestly say that this is not a selfish thing. That you've spoken to people and all the Christians around you have told you that what you're doing, this is the right thing. And it's, it's not going against anything in the Bible whatsoever. But you know what? When you get into the situation, something's wrong here. And you're like, everything should be right, but it's wrong. Physically and externally, everything feels right. I feel like this is green lights everywhere, but I don't feel right. You know what? You need to learn to discern the voice of God in those situations. That peace of God is priceless, and it will save you years of heartache if you can just listen to that little voice. It's Philippians 4 verse 7. I won't read the verse, but here's the important key about receiving that peace from God. It says, pray. It says, speak to God. Tell Him what you want to do or what you're thinking. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You know that verse we quote so often? Well, we want that. You can't underestimate the peace of God. Even when everything else, you're making more money. It's not ungodly. You're doing everything the right way. If you don't have the peace of God, you need to put the brakes on now. I think that's important. If you're getting green lights in all these areas, then just do it. Do it. Take action. Make a step. Go ahead. You know what? Like I said, God's big enough and He's sovereign enough to close the doors He doesn't want us to go into. And He's big enough and He's sovereign enough to help us if we make the wrong decision, to make the best out of that wrong decision. I've seen that many times in my own life as well. And I thank God that that's true. Romans 8.28. That God can use all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I hope that is helpful. That's it. And maybe this is just helping two people that are making big decisions here. That's okay. I trust and I hope that This is something that you can put into your brain space and keep there for the time that decisions are coming because there's none of us that are exempt from difficult decisions. And so hopefully this can be a helpful and a practical message for you. I want to um, speak to a certain group of people now.
Because these filters that I've talked about here, mostly they apply to people who are Christians. Because it's unlikely that someone who's not a Christian is going to wait for the peace of God. And it's unlikely that they're going to submit their decision to Scripture. Or that they're going to seek godly counsel. Or that they're going to submit their plans to God. And it could be that you're sitting here and you're facing a huge decision and you feel like that again. You know, that you just do not know what to do, confused and overwhelmed. We sang about this this morning. One thing you get when you become a Christian is a solid foundation. You get a firm base. You know, we talk about, when we sing about, about God we sing about an anchor, something that just roots us. You know what an anchor? Like it just catches a rock at the bottom of the ocean or catches, and it just keeps you put when the storm comes. There's that story about building your house on sand and a rock. When you, when you become a Christian, you change your foundation completely from sand to rock. And all of a sudden, you've got something stable where there wasn't something stable. And that base is the best base to make good decisions from. So if you are here and you've got big decisions to make, but you maybe wouldn't call yourself a Christian, today's an opportunity. In his writings, David, in the Psalms, he refers to God as a strong tower and a fortress. It's all the same thing. It's all, you know, if you think of a strong tower, whenever I think of that picture, I think of either battle like fighting, or I think of like a hurricane or natural disasters, and I think of a strong tower, almost like a lighthouse. Like you can just run in there, close the door, bolt it, and you are okay. Things are okay. Even though outside there's a storm raging, you're okay. And that's the the imagery that David uses. You're a strong tower. You're a fortress that I can come to when everything else is falling apart, and I can be safe in here. And it's a beautiful picture. Because that's how we make decisions as Christians. We don't, you know, before you know Christ, when you're making decisions, you, you step outside the lighthouse. And it's chaos. And now you want to make a good decision. That's a difficult thing to do. But God invites you to take refuge and shelter in Him. And I want to invite you to join this family today. If you never have, maybe you've never committed yourself to Christ. Maybe you've never said, yes, I want to be a a Christian. I want to be a Jesus follower. I want, to, I want to live this life. There's more to this than just me. Well, you know what? It's so simple that we just pray and God does something in your heart and your life changes forever. Can we stand? Let's pray. Father, we Lord, for everyone in here, Lord, who is in the middle of making big decisions. Lord, whether it be about their children or about their partner. Lord, or about their job or their friends. Father God, they are just, Lord, we are sometimes overcome and overwhelmed by the by the bigness of the decisions we have to make. But Lord, we thank you that we have a rock, that we have a fortress and a shelter in you. We're just going to take two minutes now. 
because maybe you've got that decision. And you need to commit your plans to God. Or maybe the peace of God is speaking to you right now. If that's you and you've got a decision to make, why don't you just take a minute? It'll just take 60 seconds. And you just bring that to God in your own space now.